Hi, I'm Millie Thomas, an eating disorder recovery coach. We've created this podcast to raise awareness about all types of eating disorders and help dispel some of the many myths and stigma that unfortunately still surround them. It's hard for me to pinpoint where and when my eating disorder began. It feels like it's like a drug. You know it's bad because you know like this is hurting me but it somehow makes you feel like you're doing something right. He just couldn't sense that I was hopeless. You get to that point where you just you just don't know what to do. This is the End Eating Disorders podcast brought to you by Lockaway Self Storage and Podspot. I began rereading my diaries and actually it enabled me to grieve for the little girl that got horribly lost and I just wanted to take her hand and help her get get out of that terribly dark forest that she was lost in for so many years. You're enough, you're more than enough, and you will always be enough. My eating disorder started at seven. It's been a long and at times slow process. <sighs> the eating disorder's in charge, and your daughter's not there. There is hope at endad.org.au. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. So this week I have the amazing Sophie Smith joining me and Sophie is going to share with us her journey with OSFED and orthorexia and how the health at every size movement and intuitive eating helped her to find freedom. So thank you so much for joining me today, Sophie. Thanks for having me, Millie. I would like to begin with you giving our listeners an insight into your eating disorder journey, please. Sure. So my eating disorder kind of started um, when I was in year 10. Mm-hmm. So at my high school, we did fitness testing about twice a year in our PE classes. And as part of that, we were weighed or we had to weigh ourselves. Um, and so it was through that that I noticed that kind of over time, I guess, through high school, my weight was increasing. And we also had to do our height measurement and I wasn't getting any taller. And so um, that kind of concerned me because I guess, you know, we're taught that um, about the BMI and I thought, oh, if I'm not getting to her, I'm just putting on weight, then I'm going to somehow be, you know, overweight. And obviously we're, we're kind of taught that that's a bad thing and something that we, you know, should try and avoid being. So I suddenly got quite concerned with what was happening to my body essentially, which now looking back was just a normal part of puberty, but we're not really taught, you know, how normal it is to gain a lot of weight during puberty. So yeah, so because of that, I kind of started to try and, you know, lose some weight um, in a, you know, healthy way, supposedly, um, and just sort of make a few changes here and there to my diet and, you know, do some more exercise. Um, and I guess what started off as pretty, you know, good intentions um, was kind of amazing how quickly that spiraled into essentially an eating disorder. Um, there were a number of other factors that kind of played into getting an eating disorder, so I um, was a ballet dancer growing up and so that's, you know, quite heavily focused on appearance and, you know, you wear quite revealing clothes for that. So, you know, constantly kind of being exposed to your own body um, doesn't really foster a great body image. Um, and also my brother was um, diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 2013 when I was in year 10. And so I think that probably really played into it because that was quite a big change for our family and quite a uncertain um, time and I really didn't deal with uncertainty very well. I still don't. <laughs> and I think um, definitely the need to kind of, you know, control things. I still have that kind of need to control things. Um, 
definitely also played into my eating disorder. And and naturally my personality as well. Like I'm quite that A-type, hardworking, perfectionistic, black and white thinking person. So those number of factors definitely kind of predisposed me, I guess, to getting an eating disorder. So I had my eating disorder for probably about four and a half years um, without knowing that I had an eating disorder, essentially. No one in my family knew. I didn't know. I just thought I was, you know, living healthily and had really great willpower. And that's how everyone saw it. I was sort of labeled as the healthy one in the family from then on. I quickly accumulated a massive list of foods I wasn't allowed to eat. I was just generally, you know, had rules around everything. And it didn't just relate to food and exercise and things that you typically associate with an eating disorder. It extended into all kinds of areas of my life. Like I had, I still like routines, but I had, you know, I had to, you know, be in the kitchen for breakfast at a certain time and just all these rules I had around everything. Um, and then I guess the pathway out of my eating disorder was me coming to realize that my relationship with food just wasn't healthy and I didn't want it to be like that forever. So in my second year of university in 2017, I I guess I started to see a few red flags. Um, I started noticing some sort of subjective binge eating. It probably wasn't, you know, diagnostically binge eating, but it felt out of control to me. And it was quite a new thing that I hadn't experienced before during my eating disorder, which I didn't really know was an eating disorder at the time. But I guess that really worried me because my eating disorder was very restrictive and orthorexic. And so losing control was something that really concerned me. And uh, it was actually on a holiday um, to to Melbourne with my mum and my twin sister in about um, September of 2017. I remember having a really great time that holiday and being on the plane um, flying back to Sydney and essentially this light bulb just went off in my head and I was like, is this really what the rest of my life is going to be like? Like, I'm so stressed all the time. I have all these rules. There's so many restrictions on what I can do. I'm, I'm constantly so consumed by, you know, my schedule and how, you know, how early I have to get up to exercise to make sure I'm here on time and just all these calculations of what I've eaten that day. And I was just like, is this normal? Like, is everyone doing this or is this only me? You know, because I, I didn't really know how, I guess, um, kind of, you know, common but abnormal my kind of thoughts and, and patterns were at that point. So I remember just thinking, oh, maybe I should like look into this. I didn't think I had an eating disorder, but I just thought, I should probably, you know, figure out if this is, you know, if this is a problem for me and try and do something about it. So, yeah, that's sort of what started my recovery journey. And I um, started seeing a psychologist who sort of quickly told me that I probably did have an eating disorder, um, sort of diagnosed me with Ausbed and definitely had some strong orthorexic tendencies. Obviously, orthorexia isn't an official diagnosis yet, but if it was, probably would have been diagnosed with orthorexia. And, yeah, I also saw a dietitian. Um, and I'd say my recovery took about two years. Um, so most of 2018 and 2019 are sort of, you know, identified as being in recovery. And then towards the end of 2019, I sort of started identifying more with pulling myself recovered because I realized that I didn't really have any of the same sort of thoughts and behaviors as before. And, um, now, yeah, three years into recovery, I'm, pretty much still, still fully recovered. Obviously, there's still things I struggle with here and there. And, um, you know, everyone has, you know, bad body image days or days when they're not feeling the best. But um, all in all, um, I wouldn't wish 
it on anyone, but um, going through recovery has actually taught me so much about myself and I've learned so much. And I don't think I'd be the person I am today without having gone through it. So not that I would want anyone else to go through it, but I think um, if I can see a silver lining in it, it's definitely that it, it taught me a lot about myself and I'm, yeah, a much better and happier person now. I can completely relate to that feeling of, in a way, almost being, I guess, a little a little bit grateful for the experience because it's taught you so much about yourself. And I think we get to know ourselves more deeply than we ever would have if we hadn't had to struggle and battle with our inner demons so much. So I completely understand where you're coming from on that. But with the same token, as you say, you wouldn't wish it upon anybody. Um, But it is important that we can sort of look at our experiences and try and find silver linings and um, ways in which we can use them uh, to, to benefit us for the, for the rest of our lives rather than um, I guess, ruining the day that we became unwell with our eating disorder. Yeah, definitely. I found it really interesting you talked just before around, you know, school and those measurements and and things like that. And you said, you know, it's something that we're not taught about. What would you like to see change in terms of curriculum so that people are aware that that is a normal part of growth? What do you think would be be helpful? Yeah, I think, I I think honestly, like the health and sort of, you know, physical education curriculum. I mean, I haven't, I graduated school five years ago, so I don't know what it's like now, but I can imagine it's still pretty weight-centric and everything. So I think I'd just like that to be, yeah, less focus on physical measurements, like, and and more education and more normalizing of, um, especially for girls and, you know, people who identify as women, um, you know, that it's very normal to gain a lot of weight during puberty and if I had known that, then it definitely would have just helped, you know, allay my concerns around that. Um, and and we're never really taught anything about body image. At least I wasn't. We were never really taught about eating disorders or body image or mental health in general, really, which is quite, <laughs> um, yeah, quite problematic looking back. But I think just, yeah, m- more normalizing of puberty and the physical changes you go through and just don't weigh children in school. Like, there's no reason they need to know what they weigh because... If it wasn't for that weighing that was done in P classes, I wouldn't have had any idea. And so I think, um, you know, unless it's really specifically for like medical reasons or something, there's just no need, especially at that age, to you know, to, to weigh children. So, yeah. Well, absolutely, drawing attention to it when up until that point they probably were completely, completely. Uh, naive to it and, and not considering it at all. And then for people who are predisposed, then it becomes something that could trigger off goodness knows what. So I completely yeah. agree with you. It's just unnecessary. Was it, you know, in terms of the orthorexia, was it hard to be battling an illness that our diet culture saturated society effectively praises, you know, those, those, yeah. those behaviors? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one of the reasons I didn't recognize that I had a problem for so long was that it is, it is so reinforced and it is really difficult because a lot of the behaviors, you know, are very normalized and, you know, things like doing a lot of exercise, like obviously, you know, exercise is fine and everything, but um, yeah, when, when you sort of take those, you know, guidelines around how much exercise to do and really to the extreme and everything, um, that's, that's really hard. Um, And, and yeah, like, you know, social media, especially is, is notoriously bad at, you know, reinforcing these, 
really disordered, unhelpful um, behaviors and things, you know. So it, it is really difficult. And I think it definitely, especially for orthorexia, you know, people probably have the um, <clears throat> have the assumption that, oh, you know, what, what's wrong with eating healthy? Um, but it, it's really, you know, there's, there is nothing wrong with that. But when it's taken to such an extreme, to the point where it really affects your physical and your mental health, you know, then then you've got to recognize that we have a problem. But because it is so glorified, you know, to be healthy, it's like, you know, being healthy is almost like being the new thing. And because we correlate, you know, those two things, being thin and being healthy, still, unfortunately, um, you know, that, that does just make it really difficult to recognize that you have a problem when everyone around you is, is effectively praising your behavior and, you know, telling you to keep going. So, yeah, it's really difficult. And I think it's one of the reasons why so many people go on undiagnosed and um, unfortunately, you know, don't get the treatment because they just don't recognize that they have a problem because it is just unfortunately very normalized. Mm. And then even when you do recognize you have a problem, I mean, it's really, really hard in recovery to stop behaviors or, 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 you know, dismantle beliefs that so many people are basically striving for and that are completely mm. glorified uh, on social media and in the media in general. Did did um, social media have an impact on the development of your eating disorder, do you think? Um, I think slightly. I mean, I wasn't really – I didn't have Instagram um, back in year 10 when I was 15, but I did have Facebook, and I do remember seeing my friends um, as I went to an all-girls school. Um, you know, they'd be posting bikini, you know, pictures of themselves on Facebook. And, you know, I, that definitely made me feel pretty insecure about my own body and think, God, like, I don't look like that. Like, they all, you know, so perfect and, you know, really fit that that ideal body and the, the beauty standards. So, yeah, I think definitely that, that side of things played into my eating disorder. But um, I'm, I'm actually very thankful that I didn't have, like, TikTok or, you know, Instagram mm. really because they're even worse and even more um, image focused. And so I'm quite glad that, yeah, it was limited to Facebook at that point. And um, social media, I think, yeah, it didn't play a huge part in developing my eating disorder, but it did definitely help a lot in, in recovery. Fabulous in terms of recovery orientated accounts. Yeah, definitely. Like I essentially when I got Instagram, I, I think I was initially following some, you know, probably problematic accounts that were, you know, reinforcing uh, my eating disorder and, you know, things that would make me feel bad about myself. But I, yeah, have really tried to curate my Instagram now to just being, you know, only diverse bodies, um, diverse genders, all kinds of diversity. And if there's ever, you know, a person who is particularly posting things that just make me feel uncomfortable or make me feel inadequate or bad about myself and my life then I just unfollow them because you know I just don't want to be in that kind of environment that um, is not good for my mental health so yeah now I only really follow a lot of good you know dietitians and psychologists um, and they have really helpful you know eating disorder content and so it only really um, reinforces my pre-existing now you know new beliefs around food and weight and all that um, rather than you know being exposed to the kind of problematic stuff that was sort of the reason behind the development of my eating disorder so yeah now social media is only really a positive thing in my life which is which is really good 
That's so wonderful to hear. And I completely agree with you when you say feel really lucky that you didn't have um, the likes of Instagram and TikTok uh, back then when your eating disorder first developed. I was the same and we had, I don't know what they, I think they were called Nokia 3010s or something. All all (laughs) the only game we had on there was Snake. Um, That's all I remember. Um, Certainly no smartphones and and social media. And I I just shudder to think what it would have been like if there had been that at that time, especially at an all-girls school. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of lucky stars that we, we, we got to miss, miss that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, um, health at every size and intuitive eating were a really integral part of your recovery. Why do you feel they helped you so much? Yeah, it's a good question. I think a lot of the reasoning behind why that those sort of paradigms were so helpful was that they were very much, they're very much like logical and, um, you know, they're, they're very evidence-based and um, that really kind of helped me shift my beliefs because I think my, my eating disorder was, wasn't more so um, due to my kind of, you know, psychological traits. I mean, it was, but it was more like the cognitive side of it was really strong for me. So it was what I believed. I believed that, you know, chocolate was bad for me. I believed all these things about how much exercise I had to do and that, you know, being an ex-BMI was unhealthy and all these things. And so when I was exposed to opposing belief, I mean, initially the cognitive dissonance was intense, but when I really started to, I guess, internalize those new beliefs um, and so that they became my own, I mean, it took time, but it really helped kind of, yeah, reinforce um, the new behaviors and everything. So I had, you know, a certain set of beliefs around you know what it was to be healthy and what you know what you had to do to be healthy and the behaviors it entailed and so you know and I formed rules around that and then that you know said the behaviors that I was doing around how much exercise and you know how much I was restricting my food and so in order to shift to a kind of new you know set of behaviors and how I live my life now I needed to have I guess a new set of beliefs and that's really where health every size and intuitive eating came in you know telling me you can just eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, and that's fine. Like, you don't need to, you know, you don't need to suppress your hunger or, you know, especially with health every size, things around everyone having a set weight point, and that might be in the supposedly overweight BMI category, but that might actually be healthy for you. Um, And so that was kind of mind-blowing to me because I understood that, yes, I was never technically underweight by BMI standards during my eating disorder, but I was clearly weight-pressed for my own body. And now, I mean, I don't really, I don't ever weigh myself anymore, but I can imagine who knows what I'd be classified by being my standards. But it gave me the confidence to know that this is a body that I need to be in for me, for me now, having this healthy relationship with food, doing only exercise I enjoy, that's sustainable. This is a body I need to be in. And if someone or some health professional or some arbitrary BMI says that's wrong, like, frankly, I don't care <laughs> because I have this whole new set of beliefs around you know, around weight and food and, and what's healthy. And so I think that's why it was so important for me because it, it kind of gave me a whole foundation to base um, my beliefs and my, my lifestyle on, which is, yeah, honestly has been very transformational for me. Yeah, it sounds like it has definitely formed a really um, good basis for your for your recovery and something to come back to again and again. And I think, you know, changing those beliefs and values uh, in recovery is super, super important. And 
um, as you say, you know, you sound, you say it with such conviction that you don't really care what the other professional thinks because you know what's needed for you and your body. And I think that's something that is so, so important uh, in recovery is that, and it's something that I um, talk about with clients all the time because they get very worried when they're coming up towards their, you know, goal weights that are set by uh, clinicians and they freak out because they think, well, I can't go over that um, because that would be bad. Um, and, you know, I always say to them, the reality of it is you need to let your body find its happy place. And and nobody can calculate exactly where that's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that you have to allow yourself that grace to find. And then once you find it, you will know. And I'm sure that you experience that same thing. And then you just, you just know that that's where your body needs to sit. And it's, I found it a really empowering, almost freeing process doing that and realizing, wow, okay, this is my body's happy place. Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely right, yeah. Were there moments during when you were really kind of in the midst of your eating disorder where you felt quite hopeless and like, gosh, is this going to be me for the rest of my life? Um, it's a good question. I don't think there were any really really hopeless moments for me and I think a lot of that is just because by the time I set my mind on recovery the same kind of drive and motivation I had my eating disorder I sort of just applied that to recovery and so I was very motivated to recover I think there was a time sort of towards start or middle of 2019 when I was already sort of you know a year year and a half into recovery where I had quite a tough time with my body image because I injured myself and I essentially had to massively cut back on the amount of exercise I was doing and so that made me really concerned like I was going to gain all this weight and um was very difficult for me but um I think what got me through that was just knowing that it was going to get better and knowing that you know there was a better life kind of waiting for me and you just had to go through it to get over it and I'd actually experienced a lot of freedom um the previous year when I went back uh, to England, which is where my family is from, we went back there for a holiday and I'd worked out with my dietitian, my psychologist to really just, you know, try and have as much fun as possible because, you know, holidays previously were really stressful for me, you know, with an eating disorder, trying to, you know, control everything. But on that holiday, I just, I'd never felt so good in my life um, because all the years before, you know, I was so anxious and stressed and miserable quite a lot of the time. Um, and on that holiday, I really, I saw what was possible, I think, myself. I saw, you know, that I didn't have to do all this exercise all the time and all this delicious food I could eat again and so many, you know, foods from my childhood, for instance, because I grew up there that I got to eat again. And I was just, it was so good. And it just really taught me that this is what my life could be like. And even though I didn't fully believe it at the time, I thought, oh, you know, we're just on holiday, you know, everyone's a little bit, you know, I don't know, relaxed and everything with their eating and whatever on holiday. But really, you know, when I think about it, that is how I live my life now, just eating whatever I want, you know. So I think in times when it was difficult, I I reflected back on that experience and the freedom and just how how good it felt to not be defined by so many rules and just to have so much, just to have fun, I think. Um, The most fun I'd had in a long time. And so I just, I thought about that and I thought about, you know, what I was aiming for, I guess, and where my life could could be in the future. And that kind of kept me going when things were difficult. I think it's so important to elicit 
or, or draw upon memories or experiences where you did feel really, really happy um, in order to pull you through those tough times where, when eating disorder is arcing up again and trying to trying to keep you in its clutches. Uh, I had similar experiences that I of moments of glimpses of freedom and, as you say, just having fun and just being yourself. And I would mm. always try and you know draw upon those in moments where I felt like throwing in the towel. So. Um, I'm sure that there will be listeners out there who'll have found that really helpful and hopefully have added that to their to their toolbox. Have you got any lasting physical implications from your eating disorder? Well, the only thing that I can think of, I mean, I'm lucky in the sense that I don't think I've got many lasting physical implications, but I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in 2014 when I was in year 11, mm-hmm. and that's a type of inflammatory bowel disease so it's essentially where your intestines get inflamed um and it's a chronic thing so I I have it now and I'll have it for the rest of my life luckily I have quite a mild form of the condition but I do have to take medication and everything and it's never been confirmed to me that my eating disorder contributed to that but because it's an autoimmune disorder and often those are related to your kind of stress response and everything I'm quite convinced in my head that all the stress I was putting myself, all the perfectionism, all the, you know, I was just constantly anxious um, and worried and scared. And I think that in my head essentially played into getting ulcerative colitis because, you know, I'm an identical twin and my twin sister does not have it. There's no history really in my family of having it. And so I think, you know, if we're looking at environmental factors, um, then all the stress I was putting on myself um, and, you know, the, the behaviours I was doing definitely contributed to getting ulcerative colitis. And, you know, I think that really just showed, you know, I, I wasn't this, you know, lethal person, you know, stereotypically looking like I had an eating disorder. And yet I probably do have lasting physical implications. So I think it really just is a lesson in, you know, um, warning people of the dangers essentially of, you know, what, what can be, you know, very normalised behaviour can actually result in lasting um, physical damage essentially but um but yeah other than that I don't have any other lasting implications at the time I did have you know my hair got a bit thinner and my nails got quite weak but yeah other than that I'm, I'm honestly quite lucky with <laughs> how little it's kind of affected me in the long term. Have you come to a place of acceptance now with your body? Yeah I think I definitely have um not that I you know love my body every second of every day but um, who does <laughs> yeah who does exactly and I think I really subscribe to the notion of body neutrality which I think um Mia Finlay who you know well she really um taught me a lot about that um and just just the notion of you don't have to you know love your body and you just have to respect it you just have to treat it well um because that really is a good foundation for, you know, it doesn't matter how you feel about your body as long as you're looking after it in the days where you feel good and the days when you feel bad. That's what's really important. And I think for me, um, I essentially had to realize that, you know, for a long time, I think I was trying to bargain with myself that I wanted, you know, I wanted the the body that more would fit the, the cultural standard and whatever size I wanted to be and and, you know, the body that I essentially achieved in my eating disorder, I wanted that. And and I wanted the healthy relationship with food and exercise that I have now. But that was never going to happen. It was impo- It's impossible for me to have both. 
because if I, you know, if I whittle myself down to that um, shape, then, you know, that shape and that size, then my relationship with food is going to be impacted because I would have to restrict and have all these rules. Um, and what do I want more, essentially? What do I want more? Do I want the body just to say that I conform to some arbitrary cultural standard that's shifting all the time anyway, you know, or do I want, you know, a healthy relationship with food and a way more, you know, spontaneous and happy and fulfilling life and better relationships and all the advantages that have come with recovery, you know, which of those do I want? Because I can't have both. Um, and I think for a long time I was really trying to, you know, really trying to make some bargain <laughs> with myself that I could have both. But I just coming to that realization that it's one or the other. And um, at the end of the day, I'd rather have, you know, have better mental health, um, have fun, you know, not, not really care about what other people think um, and just, you know, feel more confident in myself that how I'm living my life is how I want to live it. And I'm not having to conform to some, you know, socially constructed body ideal. So I think that's really, you know, how I got there. But it wasn't easy, you know. It's much easier said than done. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But you're right. You come to this realisation of, oh, I can't have both. What is more important <laughs> to me? I had the same yeah. thing happen in my recovery. And I think once you... It's, it's a, I found it a really hard decision um, to make. I was really scared um, because I just didn't know how I would then cope. I didn't know what my body was going to look like. Um, but it's definitely the best, absolutely the best decision I've ever made because it has allowed me to have an incredible life full to the brim of all of those things that you just mentioned, which is far, far more important than any type of, than, as you say, confirming to, conforming to any type of uh, socially constructed beauty ideal. Yeah. Now you've got a twin sister. Has she struggled with yeah. eating disorders or body image issues at all? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, I think you know, um, as you know, people who are socialised as women, we all struggle here and there with with body image. It's just you know, you'd be a, a miraculous if you didn't. But um, she never had an eating disorder or body image issues to the extent that I did. Um, and I do think that was actually quite helpful for me because when I was recovering, I had this amazing example of someone who is just living their, their life in the, the body that they're designed to be in and has a very pretty intuitive and, and healthy relationship with food. And so um, it was actually really great for me to have my sister there. She was pretty much the biggest support for me in recovery. And um, yeah, just having her there to, you know, normalize, you know, if I ate chocolate, she'd have some too. And just to normalize everything for me. So I didn't feel so alone, I think. And just to make, you know, what I was eating and how much I was eating, just to make it so normal and to make me feel so much more comfortable about what was quite challenging for me to challenge, you know, my food rules and things. So, yeah, having her there in recovery was like the biggest asset. And I'm really grateful for, for her and all the support she's, she's given me. It sounds like she's been an incredible support to you. You're very, very lucky. Yeah. Now, you've decided to become a social worker. Did your eating disorder journey have a part to play in that decision? Yeah, yeah, I think it did. Um, so initially when I was in recovery, I was still studying my undergrad degree, which was not in social work. It was in, um, I did a Bachelor of Science in Neuroscience and a Bachelor of Arts in International Relations. And I was just studying those because I wanted to and those are things I was interested in. But um, how I came to study, study social work, I think, was a lot through discovering how much oppression there is out there. And a lot of that came from 
um, my recovery journey and help at every size and learning about, you know, um, fat phobia and different systems of oppression, you know, um, homophobia, heteronormativity, all those kinds of concepts just made me really aware of um, how unjust society often is. Um, and so, yeah, becoming a social worker, I think, um, definitely was influenced by my recovery journey. And I think I've always been quite interested in human rights and I've always been quite, you know, social justice orientated, I guess. I remember in school, I was already interested in human rights and things like that. But I guess maybe my eating disorder kind of pushed those things to the side for a bit. Because I, you know, kind of lost a lot of my identity and authenticity, I guess, during my eating disorder. Because I constructed this whole new, you know, facade about who I thought I was. But now I think um, going through recovery and coming back to, you know, my true identity and my real interests. Um, and discovering this kind of passion for social justice and, you know, making the world a better place for everyone. I think that's definitely influenced me to become a social worker. And also just my my dream to kind of work with people with eating disorders. I think um, becoming a social worker and potentially um, a mental health accredited social worker um, so I can work with people with eating disorders and, and help them just because, you know, um, I'd like to use my recovery experience, I guess, just to help other people and um, if I can help one person kind of not struggle as much as me, then that would be amazing. So, yeah. I think you will make an incredible asset uh, to this space because your lived experience and the way you uh, articulate it um, and the, yeah, the insight and the knowledge you have um, are, are truly incredible. So I wish you all the best with that. Now. Thanks, Mary. What was the most valuable thing that your eating disorder journey has taught you, do you think? I think it taught me that anything that costs your happiness is just not worth it. Um, because I thought that, you know, I thought that by living by all these guidelines and standards that society, you know, tells us to do was going to make me happy and was going to, you know, was going to make me healthy. And if I could follow all these rules, then you know, my life would be great. But um, in the process, I just became so miserable and stressed and wasn't a very nice person to be around for quite a long time because I was so caught up in my head and so driven by essentially externally imposed rules, I guess, around how I was living my life, you know, like how much I had to eat and exercise and always got to go to bed at this time and get X hours of sleep and, you know, all these rules around things you could do to, you know, like hack your life or things like that. I just, I thought that would make me happy, but it didn't. And it it cost me my happiness essentially. And so now I very much just think, you know, no one no one can tell me what's best for me other than myself. You know, how how are people <laughs> creating these weird guidelines and rules? You know, they don't know me. Like everyone's individual and just having sweeping generalizations about how everyone should live, I just think is, you know, quite problematic because you know I only know myself and so if something's going to make you know if something's supposedly good for you but it's going to make me unhappy in the process then I'm not going to do it because I'd rather be happy and um, that's more important to me than you know following some rule that might make me healthier by one percent like that's just not worth it Um, and I think yeah I'd, I'd much rather have a shorter happier life than a long miserable one essentially because you know my orthorexia was all about being healthy. I, and I guess underlying that probably was with a goal to, you know, live some long, healthy life. But in the meantime, I was miserable. And so, you know, 
if it ends up that I have a shorter, happier one, then I'm perfectly, perfectly fine with that because I'd rather have fun, fun during my life than, you know, be miserable all the time. So that's, that's definitely, you know, what I've taken away from it. Oh, absolutely. Life's too short not to have fun and not to be yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> In your opinion, what are the best ways that people can support someone who's going through an eating disorder? Yeah, I think there's a number of different things I can think of. I was really fortunate to have a very supportive family. And I think one of the biggest things was just is to family members and support people, I guess, just to know that they won't necessarily understand what the person's going through and they won't necessarily relate to their experience of, you know, feeling like they need to, you know, restrict their food or, you know, binge eating or compensatory behaviors, but to just listen. And even if they don't understand, just to just to believe the person about what they're going through and what they're thinking and what they're experiencing and just to be there and just listen because honestly a lot of the time just having you know my sister or my mom there to rant to to say what I was struggling with um, was enough they didn't necessarily have to be able to relate and often they said you know oh I'm sorry I can't really um you know I can't really understand that or I, I don't really understand why you feel that way about you know eating lollies or whatever but the fact that I did and the fact that they believed me um, was enough for me. So I think that that's a, that's a massive one. And I think just um, as much as possible, um, just kind of following the person's wishes, I guess, like with my family, it was, that was very much um, them having the foods that I wanted in the house. And, um, you know, when I was kind of experimenting with intuitive eating, just having a variety of foods, in the house that I could have, um, they just, they did that for me. And that was one of the main ways they kind of practically, I guess, supported my recovery. Um, and I didn't ask questions around that. They didn't say, oh, why do you need to have so much, you know, different foods around? Um, they just believed me and that, that that's what I needed. And so I think just, you know, if someone asks you something related to their recovery, you know, like, oh, can you come with me to this exercise class? Because I just, you know, I'd rather have someone else there or, you know, can you, come out with me to this cafe because I, you know, I might feel a bit uncomfortable going by myself, just, just going along and just supporting someone, whatever they need. Um, can be a big ask sometimes, but I think just, yeah, just being there for them and just listening um, and just supporting them as much as possible is really important. Listening is key, isn't it? Because mm. you don't need to have necessarily the right words to say or any answers, but to feel heard is so, so important. When you're struggling with something that so many people don't understand, to just feel that space is being held for you and you're being heard can be so, so invaluable. Yeah, yeah, definitely, for sure. Finally, what words of wisdom would you like to leave our listeners with, especially those who are still in the midst of battling their eating disorders? I think one of the main ones is to just know that you're not alone. Like for me, I I didn't know anyone else who had an eating disorder. I'd never been friends with someone at the, at the time when I was going through recovery. I didn't know anyone else. But um, just knowing that I wasn't alone in my experience um, and that there are other people out there who are, you know, who can relate and who are feeling the same way and who have, like me, who have recovered. And I think another massive one, I wish people just kind of, had the hope that recovery was possible. And I think a lot of the time, you know, we're told that it's not, or you you're always, you know, have certain behaviors or for recovery is not possible. But I truly believe that 
it is. And I know that people, you know, have different levels of access to treatment and things like that. And there are, you know, systemic level barriers. But um, when, it, when, you know, when you're privileged enough like myself to, you know, have, have access to those things, then I really believe that it is possible. And you might not believe it at the time. I know when I was in recovery, I, I didn't even really know or have any kind of understanding of how much better my life could be. I didn't really know, you know, the, the freedom that I have now, the spontaneity to just drop everything and go to the cinema at like 8 p.m. because I don't have any rules around, you know, when I have to have dinner or how long I have to, you know, take to eat a meal. Um, just the flexibility I didn't know was possible, really. Like I didn't have any conception of, you know, what my life could be like. Um, but now that I, now that it is my life, you know, I, I wish... Unfortunately, we don't have, you know, we don't have a way to look into the future, but I wish I had gotten some, you know, some sense of the fact that it was possible for me um, to just have this life outside of an eating disorder. Um, because at the time, you know, when you're so in it, you can't see outside of that. It really does kind of give you tunnel vision and you can't, you can't just believe or see any kind of different life and you think it will be forever. But, um, you know, there's hundreds of people like myself who have recovered and, you know, if we can do it, then you can too. <laughs> That's such a wonderful message and so, so true. And I think flexibility and spontaneity are two of the best things that come from recovery. Yeah. They make life exciting. Yeah, they do. They just make it so much more fun. And I'm just so glad that now none of my, you know, rules are just holding me back from doing anything. Like I can just do anything at any time, be flexible with my schedule, you know, have you know have dinner at five have dinner at 9 p.m like it really doesn't matter anymore and before that would have really really freaked me out (laughs) but now I just I just yeah I just have so much more flexibility um and that just makes life way way more enjoyable (laughs) you're so so inspiring Sophie I can't thank you enough for sharing your story with us I know that it will help so many people out there who are still battling away trying to find their freedom it will inspire them to keep going keep fighting that brave fight and so thank you very very much for being so open and honest I really really appreciate it thank you so much Millie it's been been really fun chatting to you this is the end eating disorders podcast brought to you by Lockaway self-storage and podspot your financial support will save lives donate at ended.org.au I always used to think like how can people not hear what's going on in my head 